All right, we are going to continue in the book of Colossians. If you want to open your Bibles to uh, Colossians chapter 4. You know, we haven't mentioned for a long time, we, so we have Bibles in, in that back corner. So if you ever find yourself without a Bible, you may grab one of those. Um, all we would actually ask now, the only change with how things have gone, is that when you're done using it, if you don't own a Bible, um, or a readable version of the Bible, please take it with you. That is, that is our gift to you. Take it and keep it. If you do own one and you just forgot one or whatever, you're always welcome to grab one of those. And, and all we would say is after the service, just leave it in your seat. And then when we go through, um, and we can collect it and take care of it and, um, and, and all that. So uh, that's what I would say about that. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that we are able to be here together, that we're able to worship you. But beyond all that, God, we know that the reason we're able to come together and worship you is because you have chosen us and adopted us, not because of anything that was good in us, but because of you and your goodness. We are able to sing praises to you and to love you because you first loved us. So God, I pray that we would be mindful of that this morning and that we would walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, that we would think according to the Spirit, with the minds of Christ, not with minds of the flesh. And God, you remind us that that is a daily, constant battle for us that we need to fight. So Lord, would you give us grace this morning to think, to think clearly in the way that you would call us to, to set our minds on things above and to walk and think and act in wisdom. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In this section, Paul's kind of beginning the, the conclusion to um, his letter to this church. And what I love uh, about these, uh, these whole conclusions and, and when Paul's like wrapping up these letters... Um, sometimes they can kind of get dismissed where you just feel like, okay, now it's kind of the catch-all. But what I love is just picturing the fact that, that Paul is writing this letter to this church that he loves. He's exhorting them and encouraging them in the Lord. And now as he's kind of drawing it to the close, you start to get some of these kind of bullet point things like his asking for, for prayers for himself of what's going on in his current situation and just some things that like like a spiritual father just kind of leaving them with like also remember this also remember these things 
And you just see this beautiful kind of pouring out of his heart. And we see that here, where he's reminding them to be steadfast in prayer and the importance of being people of the Spirit, which, which leads him then to say, pray specifically for, for me in this way, praying for his ministry and for his witness and his testimony. Which then, as he's asking for those prayers, he's then encouraging them to live in, in that same way, to consider your, your testimony and to encourage you to walk in wisdom. And it's really a great way of discipling, by the way. Like one point that I'd love to, to make in this is, is as you are discipling others in the faith, it is so critical to ask them to pray for you. We, we get this kind of mindset that like, well, if I'm discipling someone else, if I'm teaching them how to follow Jesus, then I'm supposed to be the teacher and they're the follower. And so, but what we see is Paul constantly asking for prayers. And, and it's an incredible way to encourage people. So if you're walking alongside of someone, if you're teaching someone how to follow Jesus, teaching them how to read the Bible and how to pray and how to be a part of the church family, as you do that, ask them to pray for you. Share where you are struggling. Share where you need hope and encouragement. So he does this and, and he tells them to continue steadfastly in prayer, which is actually um, a, a parallel, and I think we have the, the scripture up there on, the, on a slide. Um, but 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So it's a similar idea. It's a parallel passage that he also gives to the church in Thessalonica at the end as he's kind of wrapping things up. Like, continue in prayer. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. You see the parallels there. And, and his exhortation here is that as Christians, we are to be in constant prayer. It should be the posture of the believer. Because the reason is simple. is because... We are people of the Spirit. We aren't people of the flesh. Because we constantly need to be in the Spirit. It's not so much about praying about every single decision. It's about praying that every moment I would think with the mind of Christ and that I would walk in the way of Christ. You see the difference? Like we're not just physical beings. We are physical beings. It's not separate from it, but we are, we are not just that. We aren't just made up by our intellectual understanding of things and the decisions that we make. We are people of the Spirit, and so we actually are being transformed by the renewal of our minds. In Romans 8, Paul says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And then even earlier in Colossians 3, he says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. See, the, the danger for us, I think, especially in a culture and a civilization that so values education and intellectual reasoning. Like, it's hard to imagine the fact that that's, that's just a, that's a thing in our culture, in this time in history. And in two, three, four hundred years from now, they will, they will have different ways of, of thinking, different things that they value. But we are in this very reasoning age. We believe that if we think hard enough about something, 
then we can figure it all out. But we know from Scripture and from history that that just isn't the case. The, the danger is that we, we think once we know these things, then we will walk in them. And we see that in the church, right? So we, we think that the issue is that we just haven't studied enough. Like if we just do one more Bible study on just studying love your enemies, then, then I will get it. Let me ask you, do you know you are supposed to love your enemies? Okay, I'm seeing several head nods. That's good, okay? Jesus explicitly says that. Is that easy for anybody in here? Raise your hands. Okay, no, of course it's not. Why? Because it's not a knowledge issue. It's a heart issue. We assume often that if we know, if we know it, then we will walk in it. And we assume that how we are walking is by definition wise because we know the things. So we'll actually start to redefine how we're functioning in something and we'll say, well, no, this is loving. Even if I'm not acting in a loving way, I will call it loving because I'm like, well, no, I know I'm supposed to be loving. Therefore, how I'm acting is the definition of love. But we know this isn't true. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. See, Paul knows that it's not just a matter of them knowing the right things. He can't just give them a list of these are the things that you're supposed to agree with and these are the things you're supposed to be against and then, and then just trust that they're going to walk in a way that's honoring to Christ. He knows that's not the case. And that's why he says, remain steadfast in prayer. You have to abide in the Spirit constantly. You cannot live the Christian life by just attaining knowledge on how to live it. You and I lack the power to live in this way. And that is most dangerous to those of us who have been Christians the longest. Because we tend to go on autopilot. If you remember when you first came to Christ... When you first, maybe you grew up in the church, but you remember a time when you first were hungry for the word and hungry to follow Jesus. If you remember that, remember how you devoured the word, how you were hungry to learn and to grow and to understand, how you looked to other godly men and women as an example and tried to follow them and try to imitate them as they imitated Christ. That is the way we are always to be walking on this earth. We always have that much learning to do, that much growing to do. Always. And when we lose that, it's because we have bought into the lie that the Christian life is just about attaining more and more lessons and pieces of knowledge until we are perfected. It is not. Now, by God's grace, we will walk in more Christian maturity and spiritual wisdom, and you will grow in that. And by God's grace, um, I, hopefully you are much farther. Like, I, I look at my life and say, by God's grace, I, I believe that I'm more mature in Christ than I was 15 years ago, 20 years ago. But I'm far closer to who I was 15 years ago than I will be when Christ returns and I'm glorified. Because as long as we are on this earth and as long as sin is wreaking its havoc, we, we will drift. And we've talked about this so many times that we drift away from God. No one drifts toward God. 
This is what happened in the, with the Pharisees, who were the sect of, of Jews who most valued God's word. They held to the knowledge of the word, but forgot the heart. And in so doing, they missed Jesus. John 5, Jesus says to them, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He's saying, look, if you, if you really understood the scriptures, you would know that they're pointing to me, and yet you have rejected me. We must be careful that in our searching of the scriptures, that because of our flesh and because of our, the foolishness of our flesh, and the futility of our minds that we don't find ourselves walking away from Jesus. Because it is him who all scripture testifies to. See, wisdom is found in living by the spirit, not the flesh. If you, if you add the content of the Bible to a heart of flesh, you will not find life. This is why he tells them to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful and with thanksgiving. And look what he's asking them to pray for. He's, he's saying, pray for me. He said, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. There's a couple of interesting things about that. One, why, why, is he, why is he praying? Why is he asking them to pray that God would open a door for the word? Well, one reason is because it is God who opens the door for the word. I know that's not exactly like doctorate level research there, but that's why he's saying, he's saying, pray that God would open the door for the word because it's God who opens the doors for the word. It's not our own strategies or our own ways of, of manipulating things. It is God who opens those doors. And so we need to be praying that God would do that. Like, how often are we praying that God would open these doors and praying for evangelistic fruit? We often pray for specific people. Like, my guess is that right now, you probably have people that you have been praying for that you want to come to know Jesus, and that's amazing. Please continue to do that. But let's also pray, pray generically that, that God would, you know, would open doors in our cultures and in our communities. And as we pray for those open doors, let's not despise the doors that God is opening. Here's what I mean. We've said before that we often pray for sanctification. We want to be changed. We want to be formed in the image of Jesus. But as I heard one speaker say one time, they say we, we pray that God would change us, but then we pray against all the circumstances that God would use to change us. Right? So I want God to make me steadier in my faith and, and able to handle the storms of life. And then as soon as a storm of life hits me that would train me to walk in that way, I pray that God would take it away. And I think we do the same thing with sharing the gospel. Like we, we say we want open doors for the gospel, but then... We find ourselves praying against the platforms that God is building for us to declare the gospel. Anytime we have an opportunity to, as a people, love our enemy, pray for those who persecute us, 
we have an opportunity to declare the gospel. Anytime we have an opportunity to selflessly serve and love those who would seek to harm us, we have an incredible opportunity to share the gospel. It is in the most difficult times that our message rings the loudest. And so Paul is praying that God would open these doors. He sees his imprisonment as an open door. He's He's not saying like, pray that I would get out of prison so that then I could share the gospel. He's saying, pray that God would give me open doors here and that he would speak clearly, which by the way is another example of how it's not knowledge. Do you think that Paul doesn't know how to speak clearly? He says, pray for me. That I would speak clearly about this mystery of Christ. Is the problem that Paul doesn't know how to do that? Of course not. We've seen him do it marvelously, just brilliantly. Is the problem that he doesn't know he should do it? Or that he's not skilled in doing it? It's that he knows it is a work of the Spirit, and so he covets their prayers. We just need to pray. As a church, let's pray as a church that God would open doors and that we would speak clearly as we ought. Another reason I think Paul prays this prayer and asks for this is because it's the most important thing to pray for. Like, remember, this is coming from a man who is imprisoned because of his faith. Let that sink in. He's actively being oppressed because of his faith. And the most important thing he can think of for them to pray is that God would use it so that he could declare the gospel. That's wisdom. Like Wisdom is in part keeping focus on what really matters, declaring and dem- demonstrating the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and hurting world. And so he encouraged that as he's asking them, pray for me in this way, he now exhorts them to live in the same way. Like, and you live like this. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Part of making the best use of the time, when he's joining those things together, the wisdom with the best use of the time, is keeping focus on the main objective. Like remembering, what, what is this all for? Why do I really exist here in this moment right now? For example, wisdom at your job is understanding the main objective and knowing how to go about that in the best way. Right? If you'd say someone is very wise, they function in a wise way, in their job, you're saying something about how they view, they understand what the actual objective is. If someone's wise with their finances, you'd say that they, they understand the main objective, the main goal here, and they're able to focus and work efficiently toward that end. Parenting in wisdom is knowing what your main objective is and making the best use of, of time with your children. Like, I'm so struck. If you want to strike panic in my heart, ask me how many summers I have left, left with my children while they're at home. Like, that's the thing right now that just, that just always strikes me. You know, having a child going into high school and realizing, holy cow, the time is fleeting. Like, I want to make the best use of that. I want to make the main thing with them the main thing. There's a sense of urgency about it. And Paul's exhorting the church to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, which means just those outside of the church family. It wasn't a derogatory term. Like, now we would hear that term. We'd be like, ah, I don't like to talk about people as outsiders. That wasn't a derogatory term. He's just saying people outside of the faith. He's saying make the best use of the time. 
And in a parallel passage in Ephesians 5, um, 15, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See those contrasts? Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Because losing sight of the main thing or the main goal or the will of the Lord leads to foolishness. Years ago, uh, in the, the, there was a World Cup final. It was back in 2006. And I know that this is very relevant. Believe me, sports illustrations about the World Cup in northeast Wisconsin always land really well. So, I mean, just go ahead and press on with it. But the thing was that um, France and Italy play in the World Cup final. And this is supposed to be France's year. They were the dominant team. And Italy was kind of like, meh. And they somehow found themselves in the final. And France had one of the best players in their history, Zinedine Zidane. And he was leading their team in this hard-fought match. And it went into overtime, tied at 1-1, which I know sound, makes soccer sound even more exciting. It was 1-1 after like 105 minutes of play. And in that moment, the leader of the French team, Zinedine Zidane, is being barked at by one of the Italian players. And he turns around and he headbutts him. And the referee gives him a red card, which means he is kicked out of the match. And his team, kind of disheartened and deflated because of that, end up losing. In the biggest game in the world, in the biggest game of his life, which ended up being the last game of his career, he lost sight of his goal and lashed out. And it was utter foolishness. Listen, things are heated in our culture right now. It feels like so many big things are at stake. This is not the time for us to lose sight of our goal, to lose sight of the will of God. We have a golden opportunity right now to tell the people the good news of Jesus Christ. We've never had, I would argue, such an opportunity to stand so firmly in the corner of Christ. And it's foolishness to get distracted from that. I'm seeing it all over and it grieves me. I'm seeing it in the, the Christian world. Christian authors and pastors and speakers. We call it like celebrity pastors, which should be a silly phrase. But somehow in this era, in our world, that isn't. going at each other and saying foolish things that a person, you can determine whether a person is a Christian or not because of the way that they vote. It's foolishness. Speaking condescendingly towards those who are outside of the faith, it's foolishness. We do well to remember what Jesus said to the experts of the law in his day. In Luke 11, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. 
And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Be careful judging a person who doesn't cast their vote in the way you think they should, but gives significantly of their time, energy, and resources, alleviating the suffering of the widow and the orphan. Just be mindful of that. We have an opportunity Because more important than who the president is, is who we are to our neighbors. It is far more important, and that should give you great hope. It should make you, it should should encourage you. Like I hope that I, I I would say, take heart, be encouraged. That God's plans are not being foiled. They are not being thrown into disarray. Like the plan is that we would love him and love our neighbor to his glory. That's the power of having a lot of Christians in a country. The, the, the power of having a lot of Christians in a nation is not that they serve as a voting block. It should be the fact that every citizen in our country isn't far from a Christ-exalting, good news-proclaiming, spirit-led Christ follower. That's the power of it. That's really, that's right here with us. Like, we have that. Our goal is to declare and demonstrate the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and hurting world. Not not make sure that they obey God's law that, that, that we struggle with. That they don't even believe in. Like, that can't be our goal. Our goal is to glorify our God, to live in submission to Jesus. And to demonstrate that. I want you to really listen carefully to this next part. Because if, I would just rather not be misquoted. Though I know it'll happen, but it still needs to be said, church. Because we have this great opportunity. So our big thing, the main goal is not policies about abortion. It is a neighbor who loves the pregnant woman and shows her a better way in Jesus. It's not policies about gender identity. It's a neighbor who loves the person who is confused and lost and shows them that their identity is actually in Jesus. It's not policies about or laws about marriage. It's in a neighbor who demonstrates what a godly marriage looks like that declares the mystery of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying laws don't matter. I'm saying people matter more. And really, I'm not saying that. Jesus is. Because in the Gospel of Mark, on a Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field, and his disciples are plucking heads of grain, which was against the law for Sabbath. And the Pharisees called it out, saying it was against the law to do that. Why are his disciples doing that? And Jesus gives some Old Testament examples, but then he says this in Mark 2, verse 27, He says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
Okay, this is not some public policy. This is God's law of obeying the Sabbath. And then he says, it's, it goes on. The next verse in, in Mark 3. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. That's keeping the main thing the main thing. We, as a church family, are to be a city set on a hill. A light to the world. Not, not our nation. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about us. We are to be so submitted to Christ that we devote and we, we follow him and we obey him. And we live for him and we live to tell others about him. The will of God is that you would love him and love others that Christ may be glorified. So think about that. Forget about politics. Like, let's go into something far less controversial. Like the grocery store. Grocery store is not controversial, right? Unless you're wearing masks or whatever, but I'm not going there. I'm just saying we have to go buy groceries. And when you go buy groceries, what's the goal? Is the goal that you get everything on your list as quickly as possible? Or is your goal to in going and getting groceries that you love God and love others to the glory of Jesus? That's the goal. And that may be that you're buying groceries that are healthy for your family so that you can provide for them and care for them. It could be that when you get to the checkout line, that rather than being upset about the link, that you, that you actually are listening to the person who's checking out at the grocery line. Or, or you see someone who's lost and, and doesn't seem, seems to be confused in a certain aisle that you maybe seek to help them. That all those things happen when we set our mind on the things above. That my main goal is, God, when I walk into this grocery store, I want to love you with my whole heart, soul, and mind. And I want to love my neighbor as myself. And I want to be able to declare and demonstrate the glorious good news of you. That's what I want to do when I walk in. And if that sounds weird to you, then I would say that you are walking on according to the flesh and the things of the earth. If you have your mind set on Christ, then that is the most normal way to walk into a grocery store. There's no more normal way. So we can do that. That's right in front of us. And if you remember that, then it makes sense for Paul to say this about your speech. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And gracious, is, I think, is kind of a play on words, but he's, he's both saying kind, like graciousness that we would say about gracious, but he's also, I think, alluding back to um, chapter one. He talks about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's kind of this both, like kind and compassionate speech, but speech that's infused with the grace of God and proclaiming the goodness of God. Like Paul does these things every once in a while, that, and, and it's, just, it's just interesting. 
So we might say, let your speech be gracious and full of God's grace in Jesus Christ and seasoned with salt. So salt, one of the uses of salt was to season and to give flavor. And we should think about that. As you speak to someone about God, is it inviting? Is it, is it flavorful? You can't convince anybody. You and I can't convince anybody with how we speak it. But I think about it in this way. If God is doing something in that server's heart or that grocery store employee's heart, if God is softening their heart and pursuing them, am I speaking in a way that is drawing them to that or pushing them away from it? So as they're hearing and wondering, like, ah, oh, I'm wondering, I feel like maybe there is a God and maybe, maybe like, I, I don't know. And, and we talk about our Heavenly Father who's so kind and gracious and loving and how the brokenness we see is because of our sin and that we are broken and we are separated but that he, because he loves us, he's the prodigal God who calls his prodigal sons and daughters back home. That's flavorful. That's how our speech should be towards those outside of the church, gracious and flavorful and inviting and many in our culture have bought into the lie that truth somehow stands opposed to that. They create a false dichotomy between truth and gracious speech seasoned with salt. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Spirit-filled speech will be kind, compassionate, humble, steady, compelling. All of this, he says, so that you may know how you ought to answer. And so I'll finish with this. Think about the picture that he's painting. If you are continuing, like, how is the cause effect there? Why does he say, so that you would know how to answer? Well, if you are continuing in steadfast prayer, abiding in the Spirit, praying that God would open doors for his word to be proclaimed, walking in wisdom in the Spirit, making the best use of the time, remembering what the main thing is, Your speech will be gracious because of out, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And as that is happening, what are you doing? You're praying that you abide in the Spirit, that you would walk in the Spirit, that you would speak in the Spirit. And in that hour, Luke 12, Jesus says, Do not worry. Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. It is the abiding in the Spirit, filled with the knowledge of His Word, with a heart set on loving Him and loving others, those who are outside, that will result in you knowing what to say when you have the opportunity. No amount of head knowledge of evangelism training will get you there. Only understanding God's word with a spirit-filled heart and a spirit-filled mind and a spirit-empowered love of others will get you there. I can't tell you how often this has been true for me. I can't tell you how often when I set my mind on Christ, when I literally say before I go into the grocery store, God, this whole time exists for you. 
My whole objective right now is to walk in here. You would open doors. Like if you'd be so kind to open doors and show me what I ought to say. Let me, let me proclaim your goodness. Let me live as though I am known and loved by you and that my mission is to love others. And when I do that, whether it's at the grocery store or the DMV or a restaurant or the ball field, the number of times that then God has opened a broad, wide door. And the Spirit teaches me in that hour what to say. And what comes out in those moments are gracious speech seasoned with salt. But I also can't tell you how many times I've been found not to be ready. How many times I've been rushed to get in and get out and get on with my life and to get this thing done and to be frustrated that I even have to go and run this errand or frustrated that I even have to deal with this thing. And in passing, I'm walking by an open door. Like I picture myself just like storming through a building with broad open doors all around me, but I can't see them because I am focused on the wrong thing and that is foolishness. And no wonder in those moments what comes out of my mouth are words of the flesh. Whatever you believe is the most important thing when you walk into an area, your words are going to follow that. So if you believe that the most important thing when you go to a restaurant is that you are treated well and get a good meal, then you will act accordingly and speak accordingly, like I do. But we have to fight that and pray, God, no, recenter my mind. Remind me what is the actual main thing here. Because if you and I believe that the God of the universe has placed us in those moments to be his faithful servant, to be an ambassador, to declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light, then you and I will act and speak accordingly. No, that doesn't mean that every time you go to a restaurant or whatever that you need to share the Romans road. Like if that's what you're hearing, you're missing the point. Just saying abide in the spirit. And yes, when you are given the open door and the opportunity, then speak clearly about the mystery of Christ. Be prepared in season or out of season. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in you. But if you pray for God to open doors and walk in the Spirit and remind yourself of what the will of God is every time you walk into your job or your home or into Walmart, and if you are kind and compassionate and loving with your words, believe me, God will take care of the rest. You'll find yourself with opportunities you never thought you would have saying things maybe that you never thought you could say. That's the call. So what is the platform God has built for you? Maybe during this season, like me, you found yourself saying things that that you kind of in conversations that you wish you could go back and change the tone of, or maybe the content of. What if you went in humility to that person and just apologized and sought forgiveness and repented for your words or for your loss of focus? You know, maybe it's been on social media and you just feel like, man, I just feel like things got away from me. I feel like I, I just, like I don't, I don't want that to be what everybody sees, but I just got so caught up in it. What if then you make a post and you just say, hey, this is my main objective to love God and love others. And I'm, I'm sorry if I've been divisive or dismissive. 
or going to your workplace and, and confessing that to those who are outside of the faith or in your family? What does it look like? So let's just let this be our prayer. So I'm going to have the worship team come up and I'm going to pray this prayer and I just ask you to join me in it. If you are in agreement with it, whenever I give space, just give your agreement to God and, and maybe he will bring to mind things Father, please give us wisdom. Let us keep the main thing, the main thing. Let us realize that your will for our lives has changed not one bit in the last couple of weeks. You are still calling us to be faithful to loving you and loving our neighbor as ourselves and declaring your glory. God, please forgive us for being, becoming distracted. Father, guard our hearts against discouragement and frustration and bitterness. Let us be ready at all times. God, would you forgive us for how we have become hardened of heart? Father, would you open doors? God, we know that you are sovereign over all things and you have placed us here. Would you open doors for us to declare the mystery of Jesus Christ, this incredible good news that you save sinners, you rescue us from our own rebellion. You take our hard hearts of stone and you make them flesh. You adopt us as your own. God, show us where those open doors are. Father, let us speak with graciousness, seasoned with salt inviting in beautiful ways about our King. Let us have the mind of Christ, a heart made alive by the Spirit and empowered to live in obedience to you, declaring and demonstrating the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and hurting world. Amen.